and uh, we will get started this morning. How many of you are ready to receive from the Word of God this morning? Amen. Uh, Why don't you grab your Bibles or something that represents your Bible, your iPhone, your iPad, or, or another tech device or your actual Bible, and lift it up in the air as we pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your Word, your precious Word. We thank you for preserving your Word for thousands and thousands of years. And Father, I pray that the Word of God would be opened up and would touch our hearts today, would convict our hearts today, would challenge us today, would move us to action today. I pray that we wouldn't sit here and when we leave, we would be the same people. But Lord, I pray that you would change us by your presence and that you would change us by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Could we get this mic turned on right here? Uh, I want uh, to be a little interactive, and I want you to help me out with the message. Um, This message was inspired. We we went to youth convention in Austin last week, and and one of the preachers uh, talked about the title of my message, and my wife whispered over to me and said, this would be an awesome sermon to preach. And so if I do a bad job, it's her fault. It was her idea. Uh, But I want to be a little interactive here. I want you to finish a sentence for me, okay? Uh, and the sentence is, I really hate, okay, and then you fill in the blank. And I'm just going to go to random people. Uh, it's going to be awkward because I didn't pre-warn anybody. So I'm just going to go up to people, and, and I'm going to have you finish the sentence. So let me start with you, Sister Deborah. I hate the devil. Okay, okay, yeah. There you go. Megan, you got a list of things, so let's go to you. Oh, and please, everybody... Don't, don't say anything that I would have to hit the dump button for because I don't have a dump button. And I know some of y'all are a little inappropriate, so make sure we, we, keep, it, we keep it church-rated here. I don't know if I'm making a mistake putting the mic in front of Megan here, but I hate, I really hate when. I hate people who smack their gums. Okay. All right. Heath, I really hate the Denver Donkeys. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, let's get uh, let's get some teenagers up in this action here. All right. All right. Maddie, I really hate Come on, do it. In front of everybody. I really hate I really hate Taking too long, girl. Oh, no. All right, let's go over here. I really hate when girls have mustaches. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Okay, okay. All right. I really hate interactive sermons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get one more. I got to make this good over here. Kelton, why don't you come over here? I really hate. The smell of burnt popcorn. There you go. Hey, I, I did that because I want to talk about something I really, really hate this morning. Um, and it's the title of my message. I really, really hate window shopping. Okay? Uh, it's one of the things that are up there with the Denver Broncos and the Miami Heat. 
And it's window shopping. I, I see zero point in going to the mall and going from store to store to store and, and, and looking at clothes and, and looking at items and, and touching them and, and trying them on with zero intention of, of buying them. It, it's one of the things that I will never, ever, ever understand. And for those of you that don't know, window shopping is the activity at looking at goods displayed in shop windows without intending to buy anything, or when one visits a store or mall to admire goods rather than purchase them. I hate window shopping, but my wife absolutely loves window shopping. She would be totally content with going to the mall all day long and coming home without buying anything at all. And she's all... Uh, revved up and energized, and I'm like, man, what, what's going on with you? Why are you in such a good mood? Well, I got to, I got to go to the mall, and I got to look at all these clothes that I, I eventually want to buy, and I'm just like, what is so fun about that? I mean, uh, we have gotten into countless arguments uh, at the mall. I mean, the mall is not a place where Priscilla and I should work on our, our marriage relationship, <laughs> because if we spend over two minutes at the mall, I lose patience, and, and we end up arguing. Like, I made the gigantic, everybody say gigantic. I made the gigantic, ginormous mistake one Mother's Day. Haven't had many, so uh, one Mother's Day of telling Priscilla that I would take her to the mall, and I would uh, buy her some clothes for Mother's Day. Instead of getting her a gift, I'll take you to the mall. Oh, my goodness, that was the worst mistake of my life. <laughs> Three hours later... After she had gone into the Gap, Forever 21, uh, Macy's, Dillard's, Banana Republic, all of these places, tried on clothes. I mean, it got to the point where she asked me, you know, does this look nice? I didn't even look at her. I said, yeah, you look beautiful, honey. Uh, (laughs) Three hours later, neither of us were talking to one another, and she proclaimed that I had ruined Mother's Day for her. (laughs) Let's just say I'm never, ever going to do that again. I say all of that to say this. We have a lot of window shoppers in the body of Christ. We have a lot of window shoppers in the body of Christ. James, the half-brother of Jesus and the author of the book of James, says this. And I'm going to be reading James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24 from the message version. Then I'm going to read it from the NIV. Uh, It'll be up on the screen for you to read along. We also have notes in your bulletin so that you can follow along as well. And it says this. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other act on what you hear those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like now let's read it from the niv and it says this do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like the word deceive there was used in mathematics in the original language to refer to a miscalculation okay so what james is saying there is that if we listen to the word But don't do what the word says. We're miscalculating what being a Christian is actually about. 
We're saying two plus two equals five when two plus two equals six. Just making sure you're paying attention. We're miscalculating what Christianity really is when we hear the word, we read the word, we listen to the word, but then we do nothing with what we hear and listen and read. Verse 23 and 24 says that being a hearer only and not a doer is like looking in a mirror. And after observing, you go away and forget what you look like. As I was studying this message this week, I I came across this. In the first century, mirrors were generally made of highly polished brass or bronze. And if you were wealthy, you could buy one of silver or gold. And the thing is, is that you couldn't really get an adequate reflection in a mirror. So you'd have to turn it, kind of get it in the light just right. You'd have to look just right. And then you could get an okay reflection. It's not like the glass mirrors that we use today where you can, you know, it's like a spitting image of, of what you're looking at. They couldn't do that. You had to carefully look into that mirror in order to see your reflection and James is telling us that it's not enough just to glance at the word of God we have to carefully observe and look intently in it in order to for us to get anything out of it we can't just you know okay uh, I'm just gonna flip to a verse uh, you know and just and just read and not really pay attention we have to observe we have to study we have to labor in the word of God for us to get anything out of it and after We have observed what the word says. We have to obey it or we're deceiving ourselves. It's not enough even to just really study it. You can go to 15 Bible studies a week and not put into practice anything you're learning and you're deceiving yourself. You're you're walking in a miscalculation if you do that. You see, church, many Christians walk into church on Sunday morning wanting to be entertained with no intentions of allowing the service to change them from the inside out. They want to critique the service. They want to give their opinion about the message. They want to be entertained by the music, but when it's time to do something with what they have heard, they're nowhere to be found. Many Christian uh, people are bored with church because their lives are filled with hearing the word, but not doing anything with the word. If you're bored coming to church, if you're bored of this Christian thing, my suggestion is you start doing what you're being taught. You start doing what is being preached at you week after week after week, and I promise you, your life will get, I mean, it'll get exciting because when you live by faith, when you live uh, on the edge, when you live uh, led by the Holy Spirit, God is not going to allow you to be bored. He's going to have one challenge after another, after another, after another. And I promise you, you will not be bored. But most Christians that say they're bored at church or with Christianity is because they're not obeying what they're being taught. And so they're stuck. They're plateaued and they're not going anywhere. And, and they feel like blaming everybody else instead of looking at themselves and saying, you know what? I need to be more obedient. I need to do what the word of God says, uh, says and I might not be so bored. Let's look at one of Jesus's parables. Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 18, says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. 
Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Two out of the three servants were doers of what the master wanted, but the third heard what the master wanted. He heard the same thing that the other two servants heard, but he went out and he didn't do anything with the bag of gold that he received. In fact, the Bible says that he went out, dug a hole, and buried the gold that he was given. There are many of us in here that have been entrusted with gifts, talents, abilities, and resources, but instead of multiplying what we have, we're burying it in the ground, and we're hiding it from the people that we could be influencing and impacting with our gifts, our talents, our abilities, and our resources. We're window shopping instead of going in and buying what we want. There are people in here right now that have a gift to create magnificent videos, media, things like that, but you're hiding your gift. There are people in here right now that have a calling to reach the needy and to reach the poor. Your heart breaks when you see people holding up signs needing money, but you're hiding and you're not doing anything with with, with that calling that, that you know God has placed in your life. There are people in here this morning that you have the gift of evangelism, that you have an anointing to witness to people. All of us should be witnessing to people, but you have a, a special anointing. When you talk to people, people listen. You could talk to a complete stranger, and they will listen to every single word you have to say because you have anointing for it. But, but you're hiding that gift, and every time you, you, you're about to take that gift, uh, and you're about to go out and, and dig, that, dig that gift up, you think up another excuse, and you leave it buried and hidden so that nobody can experience the gift. Here's the deal, church. The two servants that didn't window shop but did something with the bags of gold, they were given more. They were given more. But the one that didn't do anything with what he was entrusted, whatever the reason, maybe he was mad because he didn't get five bags of gold or two bags of gold. The Bible does say he was afraid of his master. Whatever it was, he didn't do it. And the Bible says that the master took What he gave him, gave it to the one with the five, and he threw him out into outer darkness, and he did not have a good outcome. Let's look at another story. Story, a very famous story of the Good Samaritan. That's found in Luke chapter 10. I'm going to be reading verses 30 through 37, and it says this. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, look at your neighbor and say Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these 
three, do you think, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We have a man traveling the 15 to 17 mile trek from Jericho to Jerusalem where he gets mugged and robbed and he's laying there on the side of the road and a priest goes by, a man of the cloth, a man that surely preached compassion on the poor many, many, many times, a man that studied the scriptures for a living and he walked by the man. And the Bible says that as he saw the man lying, not only did he walk by, but get this, he saw the man walked on the other side of the road. Not only did he see the hurting man bloody, beaten, messed up, he glanced at him, looked at him, saw what was going on, and and then he went on the other side of the road. There are many, many Christians, and maybe even some of you in here, you see the needs of people, and you walk on the other side of the road, because when we walk on the other side of the road, it's our way of avoiding the guilt. It's it's our way of avoiding the guilt of doing what we know we're supposed to do, but we don't want to do it, and so we walk on the other side of the road, and we see people hurting. We see the need of people. And, and in order to avoid that guilt, not only do we walk by on the complete other side of the road, we think what we can't see, maybe we won't feel guilty about later. How many of you have done this? Watching TV, commercial comes on, it's about the children in Africa. And we see a kid with a you know, big stomach because he hasn't eaten in so long. He's starving. What do we do? We change the channel. Why? Because we feel guilty because um, we feel guilty with what we have and we feel guilty because we don't have any intentions uh, of doing anything about that, that kid that we see. And so we flip the channel and then we flip it back when we know that commercial is over. How many of you have done that before? I have. I ain't going to lie. I have to avoid the guilt that I'm feeling. I feel like, man, I, I, I don't ever have to worry about eating food and I see this kid on TV that hasn't had food in weeks and weeks or months rather flip the channel than sit there and feel guilty how many of us professing Christians see someone hurting at work or school or at church yet we walk on the other side of the road to avoid guilt see there are hurting children and teenagers in our church that need someone to mentor them and instead of taking up that challenge we say well i'm just not called to that age group walk by on the other side of the road and i know there's validity to that but when you're you have an excuse every time you have an opportunity there's comes a point in time where you just got to do something something is better than nothing amen is this too hard for you we see someone at work that needs a helping hand financially because maybe they got a pay cut or their spouse lost a job and Instead of maybe blessing them with a gift card or reaching out to them in some way, we walk on the other side of the road because we don't want to get involved in their mess. You see, church, if you don't want to stay a window shopper, then you have to be willing to get involved in other people's messes. Jesus made a ministry out of getting involved in other people's messes. Remember the adulterous woman that was about to get stoned? 
Jesus got up in her mess. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus got up in her mess. You remember Zacchaeus? He got up in his mess. You remember Lazarus? He got up in his mess. You remember you? He got up in your mess. You remember me? He got up in my mess because before I met Jesus, I was in a mess. And today, without the grace of God and without a relationship with Jesus, I get myself into messes, and you do too. Some of us are just better at hiding it than others. After the priest walks by, a Levite walks by and does the exact same thing. Levites were from the tribe of Levi and assisted the priests in their church duties. Both the priest and the Levite were what you would consider church people. They went to church every day. They served. They knew the word of God. They heard it many, many, many times. They led Bible studies. They, 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 they led different groups. And they were involved in church life. But for some reason, the word of God has, ha, had not penetrated their hearts to the point where they were going to do something about that Samaritan man that was or the, the, the Jewish man that had been robbed and, and mugged and beaten and was bloody. And then comes the Samaritan down the road and sees the same man that the priest and the Levite saw and ignored. But the Samaritan stops. Okay, He sees the man in the same condition that the priest and the Levite saw him in, and they walked on the other side of the road. Samaritan man saw the same exact thing, yet... He did something very different. He did the right thing, and he stopped to help the man. What makes this so significant is the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. You see, Jews looked down on the Samaritans. Jews felt superior to the Samaritans because the Samaritans were a mixed race, and Jews were pure-blooded. And so they looked down on them, and they felt like they were better than them. And, and, and the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. And so for this Samaritan man to look at that Jewish man and still help him, that was significant. Francis Chan in his book Crazy Love says this, God's definition of what matters is pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love. He doesn't measure our lives by our church attendance. He doesn't measure our lives by how much we give in the offering. He doesn't measure our lives by how well we dress. He doesn't measure our lives by how good our personality is. Okay? He doesn't measure our lives by the color of our skin. He measures our lives by how we love. Two greatest commandments. Love God, love people. He explains the whole law. Two commandments, love God and love people. He measures our lives. The significance of our lives is not how much money we accumulate. It's not how big our house is and how fancy our cars are. The significance of our lives is determined by how we love people. The significance of our lives is determined by But when we see a need, what do we do? Do we respond the way Jesus responds? Or do we respond the way the priest and the Levite responded? That's what makes our lives count. 
nothing else. It's not your title. It's not your salary. It's not your friends. It's how you love. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. That's what the Apostle Paul said. And although the Samaritan man was not considered as holy as a priest or Levite, he was the only one that did the right thing and helped out that man that was left on the side of the road. If you want to go from window shopper to doer of the word, you have to be willing to obey even the difficult and inconvenient parts of the Bible. And let me tell you something. You haven't been a Christian very long. There are some difficult and inconvenient parts to this Bible. In fact, you could just read the Gospels and go through a list of inconvenient things. Someone slaps you in the face. Jesus tells you to turn the other cheek. Are you serious? I mean, we, we, I, I, that, that's crazy to me. If someone hurts you and makes themselves an, an enemy to you, you're supposed to love them? You're not supposed to get back at them? You're not supposed to take revenge? I mean, that's inconvenient. I'd rather hate them. I'd rather talk about them. I'd rather take a bat to them. Okay, I don't want to love them. I don't want to forgive them. That's what Jesus says, though. Window shoppers are just there to look. They are not there to actually commit to buying anything. Window shoppers hear pastor talk about a miracle Thanksgiving offering, but they had no intentions of giving anything in the Thanksgiving offering. Window shoppers want to talk about what this ministry needs to do and what that ministry needs to do. But when you ask them to volunteer, <laughs> but they can talk a big talk. Amen. I recently had a uh, youth sponsors meeting. We have some amazing uh, youth leaders that uh, help our teenagers have a great experience every Wednesday night. And in our meeting, uh, we were talking about a bunch of things, but we started talking about ways to improve our, our youth ministry, and, and so sponsors started shooting off ideas. We need to do this, and we need to do that. We need to offer this, we need to offer that. We need to change this. And, and at some point, I just kind of stood there and sat there and kind of just watched. And then after a couple minutes, you know, when it was my turn to talk, I just kind of said, well, that's nice. You know, I mean, those are nice ideas. I appreciate the ideas. That's great. But who's going to step up and execute and implement those ideas? I'm one man. I can't do all of that stuff. Those are great ideas. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not talented enough. I don't have enough time in my day to do all those things. So who's going to step up? Who's going to do it? And, and, and we have some amazing leaders, and we've had our youth leaders step up and do it. We need some people. We, we need some people giving less ideas. And we need people uh, implementing and executing those ideas. Ideas are great, but when you don't implement and execute an idea, it's worthless. Just like you can hear the word, you can speak the word, you can listen to the word. Uh, 
Um, you can go in your car and, and listen to preachers all day long on the radio. You can come to church on Sunday and hear pastor preach every single Sunday. You can read the Bible. But if you don't do anything with what you are hearing, if you don't do anything with what you're reading, it doesn't make a difference. And that is not what God intended when he inspired the author's to write the Bible. He never intended for people to just hear the word. He always intended for the word of God to cause people to act on what they were reading and learning. Let's look at one last story this morning. Esther, through amazing circumstances and odds, became the queen of Persia, which was the most powerful kingdom during this time. Esther, she was a Hebrew exile that had become the most influential woman in all of the Persian kingdom through a series of unexpected and I believe supernatural events. And there was a man, a very evil man in the story, and his name was Haman. And uh, Haman got offended at Esther's cousin Mordecai because Mordecai refused to bow down to him when he would ride by in the donkey. And, Morde and Haman was one of the king's most trusted advisors. He had a lot of influence. He had a lot of power. And he had a lot of pride. And when he, uh, when he went by on his horse, Mordecai refused to bow down to him because Mordecai would only bow down to God. And so instead of getting back at Mordecai, Haman decided to get back at, at Mordecai's people. And so he went to the king and he told the king that, Anybody that doesn't uh, worship you or, or, or whatever, uh, we need to put them to death. And the king agreed to that decree. And he made it law. Okay, And so Mordecai finds out about this sinister plot, this sinister plan. And so uh, uh, Mordecai goes to Esther, the queen, and gives him this information. And so let's pick up the story in, in the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So she basically tells her cousin Mordecai that she's afraid to go to the king because she could die if she entered the inner courts without him calling for her. And she said, ah, there's nothing I could do. He hasn't called on me in 30 days. I can't go in there. I might die. And listen to Mordecai's response. This is very, very important. I want you to get this this morning. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You see, church, most people don't go from here to doer because there's a risk involved. There's a risk involved. For Esther, it was the risk of being put to death if she entered the king's courts for you it could be the risk of rejection it could be the risk of losing all of your time if you were to do what God really wanted you to do and put you on this earth to do for you it could be a risk of having to leave your comfort zone because you have created this zone of comfort in your life and you don't want 
anybody or anything to take you out of that comfort zone. So you have a risk. If I totally surrender and give everything to God and actually do what the word says, I might have to go outside of my comfort zone. For you, it could be giving up some of your material possessions. For some of you, it could be giving up some of your position and title. There's always a reason and a risk involved in what God wants you to do. And there's always a reason and excuse for not doing what God wants you to do. And Queen Esther had a choice of whether to be a window shopper and observe the mass killing of her people or to step out and do something about it. And let me tell you something. You have that same choice. You can either stand by and observe your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, headed on a path for hell, headed on a path for destruction, or you can choose to do something about it. You can choose to, to be obedient to God and what he's called you to do, or you can continue doing what it is that you're doing and being comfortable but never being fulfilled because you know you're not fully, completely doing what God has called you to do. You have the same choice this morning as Esther had thousands of years ago. And it's your choice. God's not going to make that choice for you. I can't make that choice for you. Your mom and dad can't make that choice for you. It's your choice. Hope you make it. In spite of the risk involved, Esther went into the king's inner courts and then invited him to a banquet where she revealed to him that her people were being plotted against by Haman. And, 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 and she revealed this to him, and, and, it, and it's such a dramatic story. I encourage you, if you've not read the story of Esther uh, and saving her people, I mean, I encourage you to go home and read it. It's so dramatic. I, I can't even do it justice this morning because I don't have enough time. But she tells the king what Haman had plotted, and, and the king gets angry at Haman for doing this, and he reverses the decree and executes Haman. In fact, Haman had built a giant gallows in order to hang Mordecai on it. And the king found out what Haman had decided to do. And he hung Haman on the thing that he built to execute Mordecai on it. The king completely reversed the circumstances and the situation because Esther decided to take a risk. And let me tell you something, church, this morning. If you decide to step out in faith and take a risk on what God is trying to get you to do, I promise you he's going to reverse your situation. He's going to reverse your circumstances. And what the devil intended for bad, he will make good. Hallelujah. Give him a praise in this place. If Esther had stood by and watched from the comfort of her palace the mass killing of her people, if she had stood by and didn't go into the inner courts to talk to the king, what do you think would have happened? That decree would have been passed and all of her people would have been slaughtered to death. But because she did something with the information she received, she saved an entire race. Don't ever think that what you can contribute to the kingdom of God is insignificant. You do not know what you can do with the help and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Don't ever think, if I totally surrendered to God, I probably wouldn't make a big difference anyway. You know, I mean, what if the king just looked at Esther and, and said, you know what, 
you're beautiful, you're my wife and all that, but I said what I said and the people are going to get killed. She probably had those thoughts running through her mind. And I'm telling you, there's nothing insignificant about taking a risk and walking and stepping out in faith. There's nothing insignificant about finding your place and your calling in the kingdom of God and fulfilling what God wants you to do. Could I have the worship team come up, please? Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you going to do with the information that you received today? What are you going to do with the information that you received for the last 34 minutes and 59 seconds and counting? What are you going to do with the information that you receive week after week after week after week after week? When are the excuses going to stop? When are the excuses going to stop? What are you going to do with the information that you received? I want to close by telling you three things that window shoppers do. Very simple. They're on your notes. They hear but don't do. They hear messages in their car, on their phones, at church, at Bible studies. They hear but don't do. They look but don't buy. Window shoppers look without any intention of buying. And that gets on my nerves, friends. And the third thing that they do is they watch but they don't get involved. They may even make a few annoying suggestions, but they don't get involved. They hear, but they don't do. They look, but they don't buy. They watch, but they don't get involved. And God is challenging each and every one of us to hear and to do, to look and to buy, to watch and get involved. God is challenging us this morning to hear the word and be a doer of the word. To listen to the word and act on the word. That, my friends, is what God is calling each and every one of us to do this morning. Don't just come to church just because that's what you do. Come to church with the intentions of doing something with what you're hearing. I promise you church will be a lot more fun when you do that closing I know this is my second or third closing but I'm trying to be like pastor in closing I want to end with a powerful verse this morning in the book of James chapter 4 and verse 17 it says this if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is a sin for them whoa did you read what I just read anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin for them do we really take the word of god seriously he's not he's not saying that that list that we like to name off and judge people for he's talking about the good that you know you're supposed to do but you still don't do it that is a sin before god when you this is convicting to me I don't want to hear this. When I know I'm supposed to share my faith with somebody, but it's a little uncomfortable and weird and I don't do it, 
Is that the good I know I'm supposed to do? When I know I'm supposed to bless somebody and I don't do it, maybe I mishandled my resources and I don't have enough. Is that the good I was supposed to do and I didn't do it? We don't think about that one. We think about all the big ones. We look down on everybody for all the big ones. James telling us to look inward. You know the good you're supposed to do. You make excuses and you refuse. It's a sin. Ouch. How challenging and convicting is this one verse right here. And I know some of y'all are going to try to go home and try to say, well, if you look at it in the proper context, it doesn't mean what it's really saying. That's what we do. We're good at that. We don't want to do what the Word says. James is telling us to be accountable for our faith. He's telling us to walk out our faith in a tangible way with fear and trembling. He's telling us to not stand by and watch anymore. He's telling us that that's not okay. When Christ gave his all for us, when he sent the Holy Spirit to empower us, when we're so blessed and then we still don't do anything with what we're hearing, it's not okay. When we know what we're supposed to do but don't do it, it's not okay. It's not okay for me and it's not okay for you. I want to leave you by repeating this thought once more this morning. If you know the good you should do, but you don't do it, it's a sin. It's a sin. I want you to reflect, meditate, and ponder on that simple little verse today. I want you to meditate on that. Think about that. Think that through. Live your lives in light of that verse. I want to live my life in light of that verse. I bet I could accomplish a whole lot more in my life. I bet I wouldn't waste so much time, you know? Let's pray this morning. Everybody, bow your heads, close your eyes. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch hearts this morning. I pray that you would challenge hearts this morning. I pray that you would convict hearts this morning. I pray that you would work in this place. Move in this place, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place, Holy Spirit. Is there anyone here this morning that came to the grace place without a relationship with Jesus, but you don't want to leave that way? Is there anybody in here, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't want to leave without that relationship? Anybody, would you lift up your hand in this place? You need Jesus. You need Christ. You're not walking in the way that you should be walking if you, for whatever reason, you left this place and died. You don't know where you'd be headed. You don't know where you would go. You're not sure of your salvation. If that's you, you're not. You don't know. You just don't know. But you want to know today. I want you to lift up your hand in this place. Is there anybody? I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you for your courage. Is there anybody else? You know you need Jesus. You know the life you're living isn't good. And you want that to change today. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, young man. Thank you, young lady. Is there anybody else? 
Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? I don't want to leave here without... I see that hand, young lady. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? You need Christ this morning. I know my message wasn't a salvation message, but I don't want to leave here without allowing people to receive Christ this morning. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you to take an even bolder step this morning. I want you to get out of your seat, and I want you to walk up here so that we can pray for you. I think it's important. So if you lifted up your hand, don't be ashamed. Don't be scared. This is a safe place. This is the grace place. If you lifted up your hand this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to get out of your seat and come forward. You need this. And if I could get some some people in the church that would help me pray for people. If you normally pray for people, I want you to come up here and help me out. Got a lot of young people up here, which is awesome. Awesome, awesome. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead everybody in a general prayer, and then I want you to make it personal, and I want you to pray with the person that you're standing by. And so I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me. And those of you up front, if you could repeat this prayer if you came up for salvation. Father, I'm a sinner. Lord, I've done things that have hurt your heart. I've been in in disobedience to you. And today, I want to accept your son as my savior. Father, I understand that Jesus went to the cross for my sin. He took upon the sin of man upon himself and he died and he rose again and he overcame sin and death and today I want to receive Jesus into my heart I want to make him Lord of my life I'm surrendering all to him today Jesus' name we pray.